Welcome to this Food Thing podcast. This is the place where we talk about our relationship with food, whether it is friend or foe, easy or less so, and how it affects our behavior. Here's today's episode. Hi, welcome back to this Food Thing podcast. I'm delighted to be joined by Joelle Rabo Melitis. Joelle is an author, keynote speaker, and psychotherapist specializing in trauma, PTSD, eating disorders, and military psychology. Joelle has been a guest speaker on ABC's 60 Minutes Beyond the Headlines, authored a TEDx video on PTSD, and won numerous and various executive awards. Joelle's passion lies in helping people find empowerment by discovering how to be their best, not perfect, successful self helping clients to grow through informed, healthy, and compassionate decisions. Joelle, welcome to This Food Thing podcast. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me, Gemma. It's my pleasure. It's taken us a while, hasn't it? It has. I apologize. Life gets in the way sometimes, doesn't it? Yeah, well, my apologies too. You don't have to own all of it. Yes, it was all your fault. Not at all. (laughs) Okay, so it's nine o'clock with you and it's uh, whatever it is with me, 10 past two, 10 past nine with you. So let's let's crack on as you're at the beginning of your day. How would you describe your relationship with food? Would you describe it as a friend or as a foe? That is such a good question. And I think it depends on how I feel that day, maybe even that moment. Um, I'm getting better at food being a friend it's definitely not a friend for me. It's definitely not a friend or not a foe. Yeah. Uh, it, it, it's more of a foe. I okay. want to be a friend. <laughs> yeah. In what ways is it foe? Um, I think between my own eating disorders and, and behaviors or maladaptive behaviors. And then also I have... Um, some allergies, I have celiac. So there's so much focus in my everyday life around food um, that it it feels triggering all the time. So even when I'm in acceptance of food is great, I love food, I love to cook, I actually do love to cook. Um, there's this, this really uh, disconnect, right, with that relationship, I think, for me. I can imagine that. I spoke to someone recently who had severe allergies and he said, he would he would give up anything in his life not to have such severe allergies because it he, it was so restrictive. So yeah. let me let me take you back. Have you always been celiac? Was that something that happened when you were young, when you were a kid? How was your relationship with food when you were younger? What it was like? What was it like in your family? What were the messages that you received about food? Yeah, all such great questions. Um, I had a, a multi generational family uh, mm-hmm. growing up on my mother's side um, and a small family on my father's side that we were split, I think just by distance, um, but also close. So I had a great grand, you know, great grandparents, grandparents, my parents, my aunt and uncle, and uh, my sister and I all lived within a three mile radius of each other. And food was love. It was, you know, we were an immigrant family um, and we got together often and for meals and, extended family with meals. And so that was very much the, the messaging is, hey, eat this thing, you know, or, or I would get, as I, I got older, I'd get a lot of, um, you're too thin. I was a ballerina by training. I, I danced for over 20 years. And uh-huh. so I, I would get this, you know, keep eating, keep eating, keep eating. And I, 
don't think that that there was there was never any ill intent with that. It was the way that my family showed love. You had a great day. We reward you with this thing, um, food-based, right? You had a bad day. Let's go get this thing or food-based. So I think that was the early messaging for me with food. Um, Can I ask you about training to be a ballerina? Were you in in conflict with with yourself genetically in any way? Was it easy to... Ah, okay. Yeah, I was, you know, at the the time of Balanchine, very tall, tall, skeletal, thin um, body types. I was five, two and a half and mouthy and hippie. (laughs) (laughs) I recognize myself there. I'm five foot two, but I wasn't a ballerina. (laughs) Yeah, So, you know, then my friends were, you know, like five foot eight, five foot ten. And, you know, these, these perfect in my, in my head, ballet types. Right. And I was not that way. So I felt like I was fighting my genetics all the time. Then that kind of, that they came in maybe later on as, as a teenager, I really started to struggle with food allergies and uh, GI issues. And not because I was a picky eater at the time. I'm not, not hundred percent sure what was going on, but around 11, 11, 12, 13, I really started to have medical issues that were there one day. And then about two years later, they were mysteriously gone. And then the celiac came up after actually I was well into my late twenties, early thirties. And it, and it took some time for that to be diagnosed, um, with, with the celiac, but yeah, I always had food allergies. Um, can I ask you something, Joanne? Yeah, absolutely. you when you developed your allergies as a 11, 12, 13 year old. So that's the transition time, isn't it? You're becoming a teenager. Yeah. Was it, was it your, your body physically responding to something emotional that happened? You know, I'm pretty sure. I, I think, I think there was a lot of underlying trauma that I had. And so I think so much of it was coming from trauma, anxiety, um, depression, uh, I, ballet was a love-hate relationship. I was at that age now where I was really starting to be pushed into um, a very specific kind of training. Um, I I didn't know if I was any good at it, right? So I, I think it was this complete mind-body breakdown, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. So w- did you carry around the feeling of that you, that you just weren't good enough? Was that your theme? Yeah, it's still my theme. <laughs> mm. Well, God, all of us, right? But sometimes right? it's more uh, underlined, isn't it? In in uh, in some of us, yeah. Oh, it's yeah. just it's just such a. Um, I mustn't swear on the podcast, but it's such a something <laughs> to carry yeah. around with you. It doesn't yeah. get you anywhere. Well, it gives you drive, but yeah. Okay, so and I'm thinking about all that comparison that you would have been doing with your friends and desperately wanting this career as a dancer that you loved so much and could express yourself, and then it's your stomach that is holding all this emotion. Absolutely. And it was that, that internal conflict. It was the perfect storm. It was an internal conflict and an external conflict. And, and what I mean is that I was drived by, you know, I was being driven by Mm. the need to be perfect. Um, the need to fit in into an aesthetic world where I was being judged um, not just on my talent and my ability, but also my aesthetics, um, my body. You know, I was a, a tween going through puberty. My body was changing. Um, 
I was starting to struggle with more of the, uh, on the emotional side. And, and it just, it felt like every aspect of my world was crashing down around me. And yet I was getting better as a dancer. I was, I was, um, having more opportunities, being trained. I became a professional dancer by the time I was 16. I did very well at school. So, you know, it, at the same time, I felt like I was falling apart and I was never enough. And externally, I was performing well enough, right, in my studies at home and at, and, and at work. So was without probing too much, was there an instant, you, you talk about trauma, was it yeah. the trauma from wanting to be a professional ballet dancer, which you're saying that you were at 16, was it the trauma of all that? Or did something also happen to sort of participate it? Yeah, I had early childhood trauma that was, um, I think, pre-verbal and it was meaning that I didn't have words for it. I didn't really know what it was. Um, And so I had some behaviors that now looking back, especially being in the world of psychology, I can look back and go, ah, okay, that's what that was. Right. Um, in the moment, I wouldn't have said that. Um, home was turbulent. Um, and, you know, I think, I think that is true for a lot of, a lot of children. So I wasn't tracking all of those things. Um, you know, I was very blessed. I, I had a I grew up in a beautiful neighborhood uh, and um, parents that loved me. And, you know, I I had a lot of these things, um, but it was turbulent and it was unpredictable. And I felt um, like I was always on eggshells and and it was never enough. Right. And so that that became part of the struggle for me. And food became the one area in my life that I could absolutely control. Yes, of course. Yeah. And how did you control it? Did you eat it and throw it up? Did you overeat? Did you restrict your food? What happened? Yeah. So, um, not, not throwing up. I had, um, uh, issue with laxatives, especially as Uh I was dancing and got older. Okay. Um, but yes, everything from orthorexia, restriction, what I was going to eat, how I was going to eat it, how it was prepared. Um, to the amount, right? Uh, and then I'd swing the other way and have binges. I was so hungry and so physically drained and I, I just couldn't continue to go to practice every day without putting something into my body. And so that tended to be things that had immediate fuel sources and major crashes. So all refined sugar-based, yeah, yeah, right? And, and then... Um, and then I would swing and, and the sugar would kind of kickstart these binges. Yeah. And then I, I would kind of go through these, th- these stages. And then in the ballet world, it was very common at the time to be criticized on what you look like in your leotard and tight. So I would walk in and if I had, was having a rough week, that was noticed, you know, every, everything was noticed. Did anyone, so, yeah, I, yeah. It's very brutal. Did anyone know what was going on? No. And it was, it was also accepted. So when I oh. say no, my guess is that everybody knew it was going on. Everybody in that world, right. With, with everybody with air quotes. Right. <laughs> um, but, but I also know that my friends were going through the same things. It had different presentations and it was just 
part of the world. Yeah. You have to weigh X number of, of, you know, in the States pounds, right. You, you have to be in this, this weight range. You have to have this skeletal structure. We want to see these particular bones and lines. Yeah. Um, you know, we're measuring how much you eat. Um, you have to keep food locked. So it, that was normal in my world. Can you remember the, um, yeah, I, I hear you. I have friends who were ballet dancers. Um, I know, I know. Um, can you remember your main, the main feeling that you had when you were restricting your food, how it made you feel, and when you were, after you'd binged? Can you talk about that a bit? Yeah, yeah it's such a good question. Um, because I wonder how much has actually changed in the, in the way that I feel. My relationship with food now is different. Right. Um, but it, it, that's such an interesting question. I think... I felt completely out of body, mm. restricting. Um, and so it was this sense of control, right? Like I can do this mm-hmm. um, and I have the cr- control to do it and nobody can tell me to not do it, right? Because I get to choose what I put in my body. Um, so there was this sense of control, but I think that there was no connection with how I physically felt in those moments and I think the true what tr- I think that's true for when I was binging, where I was just eating, eating, eating as fast as I could and completely out of body. And so never clicking into, okay, that's enough, or I feel full, or I feel satisfied. And so the restriction did not come with guilt and shame, it came with failure. I can't do it well enough. I'm not good enough at restricting. I'm because I'm not thin enough. Um, and I have to get better. I have to develop those perfectionist muscles around restriction where the binging side, the, there was guilt and shame about, Oh, see, look, you know, seeing to myself, right. Oh, see, look what you've done. Yeah. Right. Um, and, um, Oh, you can't get that right either. Y- you know? And so yeah. it, it was the guilt and shame with the, binges were, oh, now I'm not, you know, now I've, I've completely failed as a dancer. Um, so I don't know if that makes sense, but it it makes complete sense. And I've talked about this before about not being a good enough anorexic. And, um, I've also talked about shame because that toxic shame that everyone seems to, everyone who I've spoken to experiences after a binge is, well, it's just, it's huge. And I'm wondering what you did with the shame. It, it, it would propel me right back into starvation. Yeah. yeah. Right. Okay. So I was, I was ping ponging between these two places of, of what felt to me personally as insanity. Yeah. Um, you, you know, not that that was a, a, or should be a clinical diagnosis or, or term that we throw out lightly. It, it that's how I felt inside. Um, I felt detached. I felt out of control, and I was desperately trying to create areas where I had control. And then the guilt and shame of it's just not good enough. No, no matter what I do, right? Whether that was schoolwork or that was relationships with friends or my family or my relationship with dance, my relationship with food, it was never good enough. And so I was seeking constant external validation 
to make me feel better, not not realizing that that's what I was doing. We're going to take a quick break. Yeah. Hi, welcome back to This Food Thing Podcast. I'm here with Joelle and we finished on a sterling note, didn't we? Before the break yeah. about about the shame and binging and how it makes you feel. And I said to Joelle in the break, I said, I could have, I could have said what you just said. Um, I felt insane. But the difference was that I was bulimic, but I felt like an insane, an insane addict. It's like the new phrase. Yeah. And we were talking about it. And Joelle, just catch everyone up who's listening with what you said back to me, because it's it's so pertinent. Yeah, it, it, it is. It is such a difficult addiction. And I, I say it's not one of luxury. And what I mean by that when I'm especially when I'm talking with my my patients now okay. is um, we don't have the luxury to not eat. And, and it makes the healing part so much more difficult. We have the luxury of to not, you know, to quit smoking, to quit drinking, to quit behaviors that we don't like, but we don't have the luxury to not eat. And so um, it, it makes that healing part feel impossible. What happens? Okay, we'll move on to that. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? It does make it feel impossible. Yeah. What happens? So let's go to... You're 16, you're dancing professionally. Yeah. I'm imagining there's a point when you stopped dancing and things fell apart even more. So that didn't happen until much later. So I was I was blessed to have a, a, over a 20-year career. Um, what happened was I was an okay ballerina. <laughs> <laughs> Remember, I'm 5'2", five, five, hippie and mouthy. That doesn't make really for great ballerinas. I bet so, you were amazing. And congratulations, by the way, on 20 years. That's really impressive. Thank you. <laughs> um, thank you. And so I, I finished high school early with my, actually with my diploma and I went to university early. Um, and, and basically my father said, you know, and if you could see my, the, my expression with the air quotes, my, my dad said, you know, go to New York, go to LA. Um, I will pay for your dance habit, but you need to go to university. You need to go to college. Okay. And I went, okay. Um, and then pick something like, what could I study where I don't really have to do that much work? <laughs> <laughs> I know what you're going to say. Psychology. Mm, no, oh. I studied, I studied political science and philosophy. I, I did not study say. dance. And, um, I, uh, you know, it, it, it was interesting to me and I thought, you know, well, when my dance career tanks, then I will, um, I'll have something else to do. And, and what happened was it, my dance, my, my ballet career didn't, take off and go anywhere. And, and by 19, um, I was struggling with, um, getting contracts. I was in the throes of, of the anorexia. Um, and again, it, it, I flew under the radar because I was, I was high functioning, right. I was doing well in other areas of my life. And so, um, and it was accepted in the dance world. And, um, very long story short, I found myself at a couple of different auditions and, and parlayed my career into doing stuff in, in film and commercials and being um, on camera, not on stage anymore, and then spent the rest of my career um, learning all different kinds of dance mediums and, and working in, in other venues and doing music videos and all, all sorts of crazy stuff, um, learning salsa and tango and... Wow. Um, so that's, that's what happened. And in my head, I felt, well, oh, cool. Now I'm done with the eating disorder. 
Right. I don't have to be anorexic anymore. And that was the farthest thing from the truth because now, you know, I'm on it, when I, and on camera and at the time I, I'm older at the time it was film and the film, they would say, you know, well, the film adds 10 pounds. So you need to be even thinner. And so now it was worse. And, um, and I did better because it felt, I, I felt more comfortable in my dancing, but not necessarily in my body. And the one thing that changing from ballet into other mediums of dance did is now I could put on a mask and not be me. I got to be this part. And that um, made the emotional experience better. And it made the eating disorder worse because I could completely detach from it. Oh, that's so interesting. That's so interesting. And what was it like being on camera? Did you feel self-conscious or were you, because you were playing a part, it was okay? Constantly, constantly um, self-conscious and just, you know, as a side note, right? I, I have a, a fantastic person that helps me with marketing, but we always ask, is Joe, you know, is Joe going to be on camera? Because I yes. have these little, okay, I have to center myself. It, it's, I, I, yeah. Or um, I think we were joking before we started the podcast where I, I find myself like making funny faces in the camera about... <laughs> <laughs> about, you know, what, what I think my skin should look like at my age or, you know, I, so yes, being on camera was terrifying. It was, um, there's a le- a level of vulnerability that, um, made me feel, um, fearful and triggered and unsafe. Um, and, and the perfectionism then became worse. Um, and I went on and, and got a master's in education and a master's in fine arts dance. I taught dance and I stayed actually working um, as a professional dancer in multiple capacities, uh, even through going to psych school. And and when I finally started with my business and, and sort of the end, end of my internship, I said, okay, it's time to let go of dancing. But it was such a love-hate relationship. It's all that I knew. And I didn't know, um, I didn't know what else to do. I didn't know what else to do. So, and, yeah. Mm, um, I just want to share as well and uh, support you. I find it difficult being on camera and it took me a long time to start making video content. <laughs> yes. Mine, I dream, I dream of a lighting team, not just a lighting person but a team with banks of lights. So yeah, you're really not on your own there. You know, and camera, cameras at height that can look down on you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that are perfectly angled. Yes, I, I drive every, my you know, my team um, and, and my person at home, I, I drive people nuts because I'm like, okay, check this. Okay, check this. Okay, what about this? Well, it has not changed. It is all in your head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But so, um, so, when yeah. you, so you said you went you casually you know, reeled off all your fantastic yeah. qualifications. You went to psych school. Um, yeah. Were you still anorexic or still it co- conflicted about food and ping ponging from these various mental and emotional states? Um, anorexic, maybe restrictive. Absolutely. Um, so I think it was, I think I was st- 
starting to get a handle on it. Um, I had been in and out of therapy before I went to psychology school um, for other things. Um, Years and years later, I was diagnosed with PTSD and um, that helped that helped me understand my behaviors and and some of the eating disordered behaviors were tied to that so the more trauma work i did the better i got with my eating um but i i definitely yo-yoed a lot um and the bulimia moved more toward exercise induced bulimia and so definitely um you know not not so much from from the restricting but um, well, I'll just, you know, exercise for two hours every day, Th- that kind of behaviors. And so the behaviors changed. Um, and then I, there were periods of time where I did better and, and times where I, I didn't. But I, I, you know, one of my favorite stories to tell when I'm training new clinicians is here I am writing writing my dissertation on broad spectrum eating disorders, addiction, and trauma. Now, remember, I'm a ballerina. We can draw the dots here. This is not complicated. Right. I'm writing about myself. So I'm writing, you know, I'm writing and I'm not eating during the day. I'm dancing full time. I'm in so literally dancing 40 hours a week, um, teaching another 10 in school full time. Um, I had two young children, very, very young children. And here I am at night writing my dissertation and I had not been eating. Um, Mm. and then I would eat cookies at night and a lot of cookies and I would do this night after night and it took me three weeks to finally go, Oh, I'm doing it again. Wow. Right. Three and weeks. It, th- yeah. And, and it seemed like it was so much time. And I remember my therapist saying to me, that is a huge success, Joelle. It only took you three weeks to recognize behaviors you have done your whole life and then redirect them. Yeah. And that was the beginning of these moments of like, ah, okay. It's not about getting rid of it completely. It's about lessening the symptoms, lessening the, the maladaptive behavior and getting back on track. Okay. What is that going to look like for me? Uh, yeah. And there is a lot of accommodating that has to go on because oh, I see it like a we're big containers and we just are able to carry all of it without being, I don't know, knocked over. Or we can pick ourselves up better when something happens. It doesn't all disappear, does it? You you incorporate it into your system. Yeah. Mm. Um, with the, just briefly about the celiac uh, situation, the celiac situation, yeah. was that getting worse or was that just something that you constantly dealt with and – and 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 so, and so it ever was, you know. How, how was that? Uh, yeah, it, I felt like it was a. I felt like it was another failure, and I know that sounds silly. Um, I felt like I've done so much work in therapy. Um, I'm at a you know, healthy behaviors. Um, I'm doing well. I I don't hate being in my body as much as I used to, right? Some days are better than others. Um, And then now all of a sudden my body's betrayed me. Mm. And so 
I have to go back to restricting. I have to go back to reading labels. I have to like all of the things that I had learned how to move away from and be comfortable in my relationship with food again. Now, all of a sudden I was, I, I felt like, oh, now I'm back to the beginning. And I know that that isn't necessarily logical. It's how I felt. Did you manage to move away from, from how you felt quite quickly? You know, I'd love to say I did, but, but I don't think that that's true. And I think that that's still part of what, what I struggle with now is, um, pre, you know, pre COVID going, going to friend's house for dinner, um, or, you know, family, um, and here are the things that are going to be served. And I never want to be rude and say, Oh, I'm sorry. I can't eat that thing because that feels that that's very old behavior for me and it's Mm -hmm. triggering. Right. So I, I find that I'll enjoy and thoroughly enjoy whatever meal is, is given to me knowing that I'm going to be physically sick the next day. And that's reminiscent of the binging. Right. And, and, and so I don't, I haven't figured out an elegant, eloquent way to work around that yet. So I feel like in some ways I'm out of the disordered behaviors and in other ways they were, they're, they're right back there again. Mm. It, um, I um, I think I misheard you at some point. So you yeah. were bulimic or were you just bulimic with the exercise? I was, so I was bulimic. Yes. So I was bulimic. Uh, I didn't okay. throw up. I was using laxatives. Of, and then okay. as and then as I got older um, and uh, starting to do other things, I switched away from using laxatives and started implementing exercise. Do you know, I've never yeah. known that, that, that binging and then using laxatives, so I didn't mishear you, it's just my lack of knowledge. I never knew that it was termed as bulimia. Uh, yeah, it was. I was purging. I'd put stuff in and take stuff out. I, I just didn't throw it up. Of course. I um, Just a little uh, story. I used to take laxatives when I was waiting in a restaurant, not actually mm-hmm. waiting for a table, when I was actually waiting on tables. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I used to take a shed load of laxatives before a shift and then get to about 11 o'clock at night and go, oh, my God, excuse me, I'll be right back to take your order. <laughs> yeah. Not not the happiest of days. We're going to take a quick break. Hi, welcome back to this Feeding Podcast. I'm here with Joelle. Just shared my story about waiting on tables. Not my podcast, yours today. Um, (laughs) So you've been so very candid and honest about your your eating and how how it's made you feel. And which I think must make you a fantastic therapist. You have real insight, not that you need to have been there and done it, but sometimes it can be very helpful. I would like to talk to you about trauma. And certainly when I was receiving treatment for eating disorders, trauma was never discussed. I think it's a relatively new conversation. I don't know, you maybe mm-hmm. correct me. Um, but it seems to be the bedrock of the trauma for all mental health issues because we are sensitive, fragile creatures, are we not? Yes. And um, this world and some of our lives can be brutal or our response and we're all different. So yes, educate me please about trauma in, in regards to eating disorders and, and anything really. 
Yeah, thank you for asking. Um, I, I, I think the connections are becoming more prevalent. Um, and, you know, what, what we know about trauma um, is that need for control comes out of trauma, not, not just trauma. People, people can have, um, you know, concerns with control and perfectionism and as part of their, you know, character type. I mean, there's a lot of reasons why people um, develop those kinds of traits. And I don't want to insinuate that everybody who is a perfectionist has trauma. That's certainly not what I mean. Um, but I think with research, what we do know is, is a lot of times from trauma comes the need for control and uh, perfectionism. And it makes perfect sense. If something has happened to me, or if I've witnessed something terrible, the more I can control how I feel, I can control my environment, I can control um, how I allow people to interact with me, um, the better I feel inside, right? The safer I feel inside. So it all, all becomes down, comes down to safety. Yeah. And, and that overrides sort of this, this, I'm paying attention to my basic needs, you know, sleep, food, water, yeah, right? Maslow. movement. Yeah. Maslow. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. So I think with eating disorders, when, when there is trauma, typically people do ha have two different extremes. They either try and control their environment by shrinking and disappearing, which would be anorexia. Yep. Right. Or they try and control their environment by making themselves as big as possible because people are less likely to approach me, right? If I, if I appear to be bigger in control, right. Um, and, 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 unobtainable, or I don't fit into whatever Western beauty standard there is. And so there seems to be some polarized behavior between either wanting to shrink and disappear or wanting to be so big that um, no one will, will hurt me again. Mm. And so it makes working through the eating disordered behavior extremely difficult because that trauma is is being tapped on all the time, right? It's constantly re-triggered. If I gain weight, I'm not safe. If I lose weight, I'm not safe. Um, do you, and so, sorry, yeah. no, no. When, when you're working professionally, do you, do you have to go back to the point that the trauma occurred or can you work around it? Cause I imagine in, in the way that you said yours happened very, very early on and it's only in hindsight do you have to name it and see it and feel it? Or can you just work with the feelings and the behaviors? Yeah. So for me, it, I, I, me personally, it was complex trauma. I had trauma very early on that I didn't really understand until I was um, in therapy and, and starting to work through uh, just my childhood and my, my yeah. issues as an adult. Um as a young adult, I had, you know, I had uh, another uh, series of very traumatic events that led to PTSD. And so 
for me in my therapy, it was helpful in the beginning to go back to, to go back to the traumas and work with those. Um, and then now I would say in therapy, that's not helpful for me at all. Um, do you find it is necessary with the people that you, that you see? Yeah. And it's that it's, it's a very personalized question. And I think it's a good one. I, I always suggest with trauma informed therapy that we meet clients where they're at, which means if somebody comes in, they says, they, they say to me, Hey, this thing happened and I don't want to talk about it. I want to talk about why I'm having issues with food. Yeah. My response is always like, okay, cool. Let's talk about your issues with food. Eventually, if somebody trusts me enough or they are, you know, spinning or ruminating on these ideas, they'll bring it into session and say, okay, now I'm ready to talk about it. Other people will, will never talk about it. And they will also say, I feel like I'm moving into wellness and I'm resolving those areas because I'm not fixated on them anymore. So I think for some people, they absolutely want to and need to go back and, and resolve those other, those pieces. And for other people through the process, they move into more of this radical acceptance of it it happened. I, I can't control what happened to me. I may not have caused what happened to me and I certainly can't change it. So can I accept that it is, that doesn't mean forgive and forget, right? Can I accept that it is? And am I willing to do something now, which is this idea of post-traumatic growth? Am I willing to do something now to shape the way that my present and my future is going to look like? And it just depends on where people are in their healing process. And so for me as a therapist, it's fundamentally important to hold that space where we start wherever the, the client wants to start. Do you, do you find that people get stuck? Yes. You see, yes. there are people who, who are stuck and will be always stuck, aren't there? Yes. And, and, and so the idea of moderation can we be less stuck today let's okay. not worry about tomorrow yeah okay right? what is what does less stuck look like just for today right and what made that successful right and for for some clients they'll come in and they'll say um i was super stuck today i didn't feel like um talking to the nutritionist um but I did it anyway, you know, right, and right. I, my response is always, you get 10 gold stars. That is amazing. And I am so proud of that work. Right. 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 Um, yeah. and then tomorrow they may say, you know, or, or when I talk to them in a week, they may say, you know what? I wasn't able to talk to the nutritionist nutritionist for the rest of the week. And I'm stuck again. It's like, okay, what do you think happened? There's something about eating disorders. Well, you, you, you highlighted it at the beginning about the luxury of mm-hmm. you, you have to eat, yeah. which means I think this is just my opinion that in the recovery of eating disorders, it's often forensic. Yes. And it kind of goes again, particularly when you feel weak and let's say stuck in it or trapped it's almost too much, isn't it? Because it's, it feels like a pressure. 
And yeah. Yeah. And the failure, right? Like, Mm. like I, like for me, I get the, again, I failed again at not being able to fill in the blank. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Do you think that, okay. Recovery from eating disorders or everything that we've been talking about. Do you think that a talking therapy is the best way of recovery? Yeah. I Mm. also love, love this question too. I think it is the relationship that somebody has with their therapist. And if for people that are listening, that are in therapy and unhappy in therapy, please try a new therapist. Yeah. Um, for those that are thinking about going to therapy, interview the therapist. Do you have experiences working mm-hmm. with people with eating disorders? What do you think about that? What's yeah. your model? Um, it, it's okay. I constantly say to clients, look, if I'm not the right fit, you are not hurting my feelings. Tell me and I'll send you to somebody great. Um, because I believe it's the relationship within therapy that allows somebody to say, I'm willing to be vulnerable and look at doing something different. And then there's, there, there literally are hundreds of techniques, whether it's somatic-based therapy, trauma-based EMDR, skills-based there. There's so many different kinds of therapy. And so sometimes it doesn't matter who I am and how much I know, right? If it's not a good fit, it's not going to work. And so, you know, I really, I really want clients and, and, and people to start there with, is this somebody that you can trust, right? Because if it is, it's very easy for me to say, Hey, I want you to try this thing or do this workbook. And, you know, my clients feel comfortable enough to go, Joe, I'm not going to do it. I'm too busy. Okay, cool. Then let's try this thing instead. Right. So they've got to be able to, to have that honest relationship with me for my style. Otherwise, um, they're, if they're not getting value from it and the, the change isn't sustainable and, and change for me needs to be slow and steady, slow and steady growth. I spoke to some, uh, another psychotherapist about the percentage or rates of recovery. I'm not sure how helpful this question is, but I'm going to ask it. Yeah. And she said that it was split into thirds. One third got stuck, one third would recover, one and one third wouldn't. What's your, do you think, do you believe it's possible to have a full recovery? You know, I, I, I and this is really swayed by my personal experience. So I just, just so mm. I'm I have full disclosure, right? <laughs> that it's a skewed answer. I, I don't, I don't think, I don't think anybody gets rid of an eating disorder. I think people move into remission. Um, I think some people are successful with their remission and those behaviors dissipate over time and they don't feel the need to go back to maladaptive behaviors. They have new, new skills, new ways to cope. Um, and they manage. Um, I, I think for other people, it, it, it ebbs and flows. Some days they're really successful with it or years, and then something will happen in life where it becomes a trigger. Now, whether or not that, that means they slip all the way back to the beginning, I don't, I don't necessarily believe that either. 
I just think that it is something that um, people struggle with lifelong and there is some mental energy there about I'm going to make the choice to not let my eating disorder win today. Yeah, yeah. I think once you can get to a place, a, a healthier place where you do feel like you can, I don't know, drive, you know, guide the ship, steer the ship and you can say, I choose this. Uh, That's not always accessible when you start recovery, but there are points along the way where you build that and you build it and it's like a muscle, like muscle memory. And, and exactly. And so for, for me and my work, you know, well, actually personally and professionally, if I have a really bad day, um, with my eating and bad could look all sorts of different ways, you know, um, how quickly can I bounce back? Cause, because tomorrow's a new day and I get to try it again. And so can I sit with that instead yeah. of getting stuck in the guilt and shame of, Oh, you did it again, Joelle. Can I, can I have that self preservation and self love to say, well, that wasn't fun. <laughs> Right. Like, yeah, eh, maybe you screwed that one up, kiddo. And then tomorrow you'll get back on track. You know, you have the skills, you know what to do, right? This is me talking to myself, you yeah, know, sure. you know, you know what to do. And, um, tomorrow's a new day and you get to try it again. And so that bounce back or that, 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 um, acceptance and into back into recovery for me is the magic. Because that feels obtainable. If if I were to say, I will never be in my eating disordered behaviors again, that feels completely unobtainable. And I've already failed for me personally, right? I've I've already set myself up for failure with that mindset. We're back to that container again, aren't we? Holding, holding. What can you hold? Can you hold like, I don't know, can you hold six plates? I can't believe I've just used the word plates. Yes. In relation yeah. to food, but yeah, how much can you hold and bear? And it, it's, it always changes. Yeah. Before we, I have one last question for you. Yeah. In fact, let me ask that question and then I will see if there's anything else that you'd like to say. This is a completely different question. If you were going to an island, any yeah. island, anywhere in the world, wherever, it could be in, in the outer galaxy, what five, this might be really difficult, what five foods would you take with you? <laughs> what a nightmare this is going to take us hours isn't it <laughs> I do have people who said they didn't take it wouldn't take any food at all yeah I was going to say can I tell you the five I wouldn't take no um so you know I I am uh I am a sweets I'm a sweets kind of gal so I would okay. take you know things like macrons and ice cream and, okay okay um, jelly beans and uh yeah i i if if it two didn't more. matter it doesn't yeah. matter doesn't matter too much so you've got matter. you've got mac- macaroons macarons you've got jelly beans you've got ice cream what flavor ice cream would you take it doesn't matter okay all of them yeah okay all, 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 all the ice cream all the ice cream all the time um <laughs> two more two more what else would i take uh I, I probably would take, um, apples and peanut butter because I actually really enjoy eating that. And Mm. I would take, um, what else would I, that's five, that's five. 
Yeah, that's yeah, what I. That's, that's great. What I <laughs> that gives you some insight, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, no, I like peanut butter with raw mushrooms. So listen, you're not on your own. Um, thank you so much for coming on this food thing podcast. Is there anything that you that you'd like to say that you you know is bursting out of you? Any any other drum you'd like to bang? Oh, thank you, thank you so much for the opportunity. It's it's always great to have these conversations. I hope it's yeah. it's helpful. Um, and just reiterating, you know, for people that are listening that are are feeling like they're struggling, there are really good therapists out there, and find somebody that you like. You know that that would be my my advice is find somebody you like. I know you're gonna put. Um, how to get a hold of me and, and yep. my socials and, and information and people can send me an email. They can follow, you know, f- send me a DM we respond. Um, and I'm happy to, to connect people with resources. There's, there's a lot of, of good stuff out there. And the hardest part I think is just starting. Yeah, I concur a hundred percent. Joelle, thank you so much for coming on this food thing podcast. It's been an absolute joy. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Love This Food Thing. If you'd like to reach me, I'm on Instagram at Love This Food Thing, or you can head to our website, lovethisfoodthing.com. Join our community. Everyone's welcome. Catch you in the next episode.